This is Charles Hain here with the No Film School podcast for Pandemic Lockdown Week 7, otherwise known as May 1st, 2020. I am here with writer Jason Hellerman, Woo! editor-in-chief George Edelman, Hello. and writer Michelle De La Tour. Hey, everyone. This week on the No Film School podcast, we're going to be talking about how to write a screenplay in a pandemic. We're going to be talking about what we think the Oscars should be doing. We've got two tech news stories this week. We're going to be talking about two cameras out of China that both shoot 8K in various ways. The new Kinfinity and a drone from uh, DJI. And then we're going to wrap it all up with some deep cuts. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. This week on the No Film School podcast. See you guys after the break. Okay, so our first topic this week, there is a brand new From No Film School ebook uh, written by Jason Hellerman. Jason Hellerman is here with us. Say hi. Hey, how's it going? Um, many of us are writing during, I mean, I say many of us, I haven't written anything recreationally. I have a child, <laughs> but many of the childless are working on screenplays right now. And writing is one of the wonderful ways you can spend your time during a pandemic. And, and if you have a thing you've been working on, you probably now have more time to do it. So we wanted to have Jason on to talk about his great ebook. Thank you so much. Quarantine has been strange for everybody. And I think there's, you know, a meme floating around that uh, during the whatever quarantine of whatever year Shakespeare wrote King Lear. And I think that's yeah. great and good for him. Good for William. <laughs> Yep. But, uh, good for the bard. <laughs> yeah. Since we can't go outside, there's not much we can do. Even inside, there's not much we can do. I thought it'd be a really good time to work on your screenplay. You know, anyone who works in Hollywood that's been to a family event has had an aunt, uncle, cousin, or distant relative pitch them an idea that would be perfect for a movie. And I think it's time for these people to put up or shut up. Jason has written, if you don't know, Jason has written a ton of screenwriting content on No Film School um, and other content, but he really has helped build a lot of great resources there um, all for free for people who want to learn more about writing, understand the movies they love in terms of their writing. Um, and so what we did with this ebook is we put together a lot of the most important lessons along with a 10 week plan that helps people actually get through the draft in 10 weeks. It's uh, a very specific step-by-step -step process, and it includes examples of movies along the way, as well as Jason's own tips for creating log lines, how important they are to the process, how to plot things out using his own infographics that he helped create with our designer, April Tapley. Shout out to April, who did some amazing Ooh. work. It's going to take people through the process and help them get to completion and, you know, then sort of lead them to whatever comes next, how you create it on your own. And these are all things we link to at the end of the ebook to sort of other no film school resources. Um, but Jason has some really cool specific things that he uses that have become a part of, you know, the no, the the ebook e and uh, hopefully people's process. But if you're familiar with things like Save the Cat, um, which is, you know, one of those really tried and true screenwriting formulas that that has been passed around. Um, it, it's got a lot of the similar types of here's how you deal with this problem. Here's how you get through this section. This is what should happen in these pages, those types of things. 
Exactly. You know, so much of writing is just sitting down and doing it. And in times like this, it, it is hard to get motivated, especially with there's so many things stressful going on in the world um, that you have to deal with. But really what I wanted to do is design something that, that anyone, whether they're new to writing or an old grizzled vet, could sit down and, and you know, open their screenwriting software and say, like, OK, let's get through this draft. How do I do it? How do I start from page one? And so much of starting writing is coming up with the idea. So we have some chapters on ideation, what you should write. Now we then, you know, most of the time, most people's brain works to a log line, a what if scenario, you know, in a world where this happens, then this happens, this happens. And that becomes really the genesis for a story. So I take you through those things, how to outline them. Um, there's a really clever tool that April and I worked on called the story map that I use for every nice. script I write. And it takes you through um, different beats of your story, you know, plot points that I think you should hit, you know, whether it's interesting the character and building the world to having them have big problems, introducing your B story all the way through the end, you know, like leaving the audience wanting more or a cliffhanger for a sequel, um, those sorts <laughs> of things. So it's taking you through all those moments and then designing over each week, the specific lesson to the week. What am I going to learn this week that will help me write around 10 ish pages a week um, and get my draft done? Because uh, this is uh, the time in Hollywood where everybody has time to read. Everyone wants to find what like what's the movie that's going to pull Hollywood back into the forefront because this will be over. We joke a lot about um, how much we haven't done, but this will end. You know, it will end uh, and and we'll look back at this time um, and maybe not laugh, but have learned lessons. But Hollywood will need movies in theaters. We're going to need butts in the seats. And everyone right now is reading the scripts for what they hope are those movies. And, and we want your script to be one of them. Jason, am I allowed to ask you a question about the ebook? You can ask me anything you want. So earlier you mentioned that folks may be ready to open their scriptwriting software and go to town. Do you need scriptwriting software to do this? I, I you definitely don't need it. You know, I've looked at a lot of friends who start writing in Microsoft Word or Pages or whatever. Um, but if you want to be taken seriously as a writer and, and you know find the find and learn the correct format of what a screenplay should look like, I would recommend screenwriting software. There are so many good choices out there um, at different pay points. And there's also a lot of free software that's easily accessible. Please see Jason's post on nofilmschool.com about free uh, screenwriting software and the best screenwriting software. It's all there. It's covered all of it in depth, but that's a great question. And there's so many different ones. And, you know, there I use both Highland and Final Draft mostly. Um, but there's really no wrong answer there. It really depends like what you want to pay. And if you want f free options, there are so many out there. And, and I do think writing and screenwriting software will make you take it more seriously because it means you're taking the craft more seriously. So that'd mm -hmm. be my recommendation. So I just want to give a shout out. I write in Scrivener and I cannot recommend Scrivener highly enough, but Final Draft is still a really useful production tool. Like once you want to start doing like numbering a script and revision pages and stuff like that, there's nothing like Final Draft. But Scrivener, if you're writing a book, if you're writing a screenplay, I've written three books in Scrivener. I've written two scripts in Scrivener. It, Scrivener is just so great. It's 80 bucks. That's totally worth it. But that leads to my question, Jason. And this is something I'm dealing with academically is like the first movies that get made are going to look a lot differently. You know, like 
like, do you have a tips page? And if not, are you working on an article of like, here's 10 things that you should avoid in your upcoming, in your movie that you, like, you shouldn't write a movie right now that's all crowd scenes. Like, you should not try and write a movie that's like, this movie takes place entirely on the floor of a box, in the in the crowd of a boxing ring, every scene, 80,000 people spitting on each other. And you're like, yeah, well, that nobody's going to shoot that next year. Like, That's definitely a good... Uh, question. I'm not currently working on like a what you shouldn't do. I think the headline for what you shouldn't do at this point is write your script about the pandemic. We really don't want the, hey, here's like my pandemic comedy about three roommates <laughs> stuck together or like my drama where it's like uh, I'm in my pandemic house and maybe a ghost is haunting me. And, like that kind of stuff I don't think is going to play. There's going to be not- so many of those. I just want us to keep running down the list of the my pandemic blank screenplays well i mean we've all thought about we all all right so obviously there's the couple that wake up the morning of the pandemic after their first like sleepover and then they discover they're stuck (laughs) together right roommates fall in love i always think rom-coms i'm a big rom-com fan roommates fall in love over the course of the pandemic i keep thinking about one where someone has all these people that they live with and then the twist is that they've just been alone and they've gone crazy because of the pandemic i figured it was eat pray love style thick pieces around what it meant to live through the pandemic and how you were going to, you know what I mean? Yeah, the joy <laughs> of being life. outside. It ends like Shawshank Redemption, you know, with like rain falling in her face. I think there's going to be a time where those movies get made. Look, like when was uh, Oliver Stone's 9-11 movie? That came out like three years after 9-11. Way too soon, yeah. I think it's a really good point that you bring up that it was Oliver Stone's 9-11 movie. I think the first couple pandemic movies will get made. Like the two big 9-11 movies were Greengrass and Oliver Stone. They were like established. Where like It is unlikely that your breakout script is going to be a pandemic script. If yeah, you are- I mean, yeah. Pete Berg's Patriot Day, right? You know, I, I don't, I, I would suggest, here's the thing. I don't like telling people what they can't write. If you're very passionate about your pandemic idea, go for it. But know that the general mood of the town is that they're not going to want to read it. I think- I, I would worry less about crowd scenes. I, I think we'll figure out that, you know, a lot of it's going to be done by CGI anyway these days. Uh, I would worry about what's a movie that people can go to that they'll completely escape from reality from, you know, like I think if Pirates of the Caribbean had a sequel that they could release, that would be a big deal. If there was another Inception, you know, like these sort of big high concept, the world is not the way you see it, Indiana Jones style things. And then I also think, uh, going back to your general point, Charles, rom-coms will be big because people are going to want to see that love exists and uh, mm. uh, healthy people kissing, you know? I've always been fascinated by the fact that the 1930s, which was an extremely dark time for most Americans, the movies that came out of that time were extremely quite the opposite. Like there wasn't a lot of the movies of that era were often about like extremely rich people and successful people. And like, it was such pure escapism. I wonder if we may see something like that happen as we come out of this prolonged depressing period. Um, And if maybe it's a good idea to write, like you're saying, Jason, like escapism. But my question that, that I think is like, for me, sometimes when I start thinking about writing a screenplay, like maybe I have a good idea. I get paralyzed a little bit by the thought of the industry and the market because I'm familiar enough with it that I don't want to engage with a lot of it. It's it's brutal. It's hard to guess what it's going to accept or not accept. And the games we're playing almost now of like, 
gaming out like, well, this won't work and they will look for this. Sometimes those thoughts and just imagining myself in those rooms is enough to make me think, nah, I don't want to do it. So is there a way, and I'm asking all of you this, but really, Jason, it's it's something that I think about a lot. Do you have advice to people who get, do you have advice for me when I think like that? No one's going to make anything not written, you know? So you can kiss your dreams goodbye if you don't do anything. So that's like number one. Number two is just like, that's the name of the game. Hollywood is about failure. You know, like your favorite writers aren't selling their first drafts. They're not even selling their seconds. They're, they're selling stuff that's been um, written and rewritten and maybe passed around town and, and maybe spent years in development. So that's just the name of the game. But the happiness and joy you feel when it goes right is unparalleled and unlike anything else. Like I've never won the lottery, but I assume it's kind of similar because so few movies get made. Every movie uh, and, and frankly, every TV show is a miracle. Even the ones you think are terrible. It, it took so many things to go right to even roll cameras on that stuff that it, it's amazing. So like, if you're willing to chase that euphoria, go for it. But otherwise, most of this is internal motivation. If you read the ebook, I try to keep things light and simple. You know, like this is might be your life's work and you think this movie has to happen, but chances are it's not going to happen. What you're really <laughs> doing is writing something that will turn into a great sample that will get you polishing movies that also might not happen um, <laughs> to the point where maybe at some point someone will buy the things you're writing on the side for free uh, to create. But that's just the game. I mean, that's that's why we do it. The part of writing that I think is important that people should do is I think it's an amazing mental exercise in terms of, uh, for me, I can't get out of my apartment. I can't go anywhere right now. But when I look at the screen and begin to type in the screenwriting software I'm using, I go there, you know, I can see the characters in my head. I can see the Louvre in Paris as they remove the artwork from the wall. You know, I can see Atlantis at the bottom of the ocean as they crack the map and, and I can see, you know, the NBA game that they're betting on and winning right before, you know, in the Diamond District of New York. You know, I can see <laughs> and feel those things. So it is that escapism. Writing should be fun. Sure, it's hard. Sure, it's a job and, and it's hard to remember. But like the reason you do it is because you love it. And if you really don't love it, don't do it. There are a lot of screenplays out there. There are stacks and stacks in every warehouse. Only the best ones move up the ladder and sometimes they don't move far enough. And there are lots of great ideas that have died, not because there's anything wrong with them, but just because of the politics involved. It's like, if you're not willing to dance that dance, don't try, you know, that's just the, it's the nature of the beast. You know, I was going to say, it brings me back to the question we answered last week on the yes. Ask film school section of what do you want out of a product or a project? If all you want is to be able to put your ideas down on paper, like go for it. If what you want is for it to play the game, go for it. But the first step is to put it down on paper. So I think part of the reaction to your question, Charles, for me is one, I feel like I have blissful ignorance of the market <laughs> as much as I can when I'm writing. But two, if your goal is just to put it on paper, then put it on paper. The reason we wrote this book was that so many people write in or email me and no film school, like, I can't finish. I don't know how to finish. And it was like, well, you just have to write it. You know, and, and our goal was to provide a guide that I think not only is a kick in the pants of saying, like, did you write today? But also in in my mind is it's a book that gets you to do all the prep work needed to finish your script. I can't write those pages for you, but I'm like 100 percent sure that if you read this book, 
you would know how to get through them. Maybe you won't know all the plot points, but you have the tools to get yourself to brainstorm through them. And again, we're giving them away for free. Pay nothing for it. Your imagination and writing is free. That way, less overhead. Make money when you sell it. Send me a, a beer or something. The ebook is available on nofilmschool.com. The title of the post that will allow you access is How to Write a Screenplay During Quarantine, free 100-page ebook. Uh, you will be prompted to sign up for our newsletter. That's all you have to do. You will get an email confirming it, and it will take you to a page where you will gain access to the ebook. And uh, we are excited about this and happy to have more people sharing it using it, telling us what's working in it and isn't. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll put out a second edition at some point based on those comments, but we're excited Absolutely, to get yeah. this out there and, and engage with everybody about it. And if you're a subscriber to No Film School's newsletter already, automatically you will be sent access to it. Um, but if you aren't a subscriber to the newsletter, please uh, head over to the site, head to the post, subscribe, and you will get the ebook. As many people know, if you saw the post on No Film School or anywhere else, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the organization that runs the Academy Awards, otherwise known by the slang term the Oscars, uh, is meeting today to talk about what are the Oscars going to be next year when there's no movies in theaters. And there's a lot of speculation online as to what this might be. Are they going to allow movies that didn't show in the theater but only played in VOD? So a movie that only shows on Netflix but doesn't get theatrical could get nominated for an Oscar? Oh, my God. What's going to happen <laughs> next? Steven Spielberg will not be pleased. I, yeah, but Scorsese might. Um, and then they could have a fist fight. Two septuagenarians having a fist fight. Uh, so that's our election. So we're good. Yeah. No. Totally. So we we just wanted to take a moment with to give our opinions on what we think the Oscars should be this year. What should qualify as the Oscars? I've got some opinions. Here's the thing. First off, I think I love that Parasite won last year. Parasite has been my Zoom background for all of my meetings lately. And then I was in a Zoom meeting the other day and someone else had a Parasite background and we were immediately Zoom buddies. And uh, I think the Academy Awards, the way forward for the Academy Awards is to embrace their role as the true, like as the international, you know, I mean. They always joke about how in America we have the World Series, but only America, Japan, and Canada care about baseball. Um, but we call it the World Series. I think the Academy Awards could transition into being the World Cinema Awards. Like, like really, truly, like, let us look at all of the greatest movies all over the world. I think that should be open to VOD. Um, I think we do need to draw some boundaries over, like, what still defines a movie. Because, like, once we get open to VOD, you're going to see people campaigning for, like, you know, the entire season of a TV show should count somehow as, you know, well, it's it's really one story, so it's eight hours. So, you know, we still need some boundaries of, like, between 70 minutes and 215 minutes. Somewhere in there is your boundary. That would be my exciting change. I think it's going to be really hard if they accept VOD this year to ever go back. I think once they make that change, it'll be real hard, especially because I love movie theaters and I can't wait to be back in them. It's going to be a slow movie theater recovery. Like it's going to take a while before we're crowding people into theaters that intensely. And so I think, you know, whatever change they make this year, I'll probably apply to next year too. 
You know, the Academy just released a statement like literally minutes ago. I can I know. read it. On the podcast, bring I it. I can read it to you. The Academy firmly believes there is no greater way to experience the magic of movies than to see them in a theater. Our commitment to that is unchanged and unwavering. Nonetheless, the historically tragic COVID-19 pandemic necessitates this temporary exemption, uh, exception to our awards eligibility rules. The Academy supports our members and the colleagues during this time of uncertainty. We recognize the importance of their work being seen and celebrated, especially now when audiences appreciate the movies more than ever. So that statement is in reference to two new rules that they added, which is that the film eligible for the Academy Awards uh, must be made available on a secure Academy Screening Room member-only streaming site within 60 days of the film streaming or VOD release. So they are going to allow VOD movies as long as the VOD provider puts it on this secure thing. And then the film must meet all other eligibility requirements for the Academy. So those requirements now are a little, I guess, in a gray area because we don't fully know how they're treating VOD, uh, especially with, like you said, Charles, theaters not having a definitive open date. I just wonder, it makes sense. I just wonder if it's a change that, you know, right now it's a, we want to, we want to get back to theaters only, et cetera. But for right now it makes sense. But I wonder if, because things were headed sort of headed in that direction anyway, this is a change that sticks, but you know, my thought and just going back to our, our fantasy Academy Awards, Mm -hmm. I just feel like it would be really cool. I've always been more of a, a movie history person and um, I think it would be cool if instead of picking winners or having nominees, the televised show was something like a retrospective that involved departments. Um, I mean, you could have you get all the celebrities or whatever, however you can. And if they're on Zoom, I don't know, maybe having them all on Zoom would be funny in its own way. Um, but you would have them break down what a department is and use you know, former nominees over the years to illustrate like what makes each thing important and great and what works and why we've honored these great movies in the history of, you know, art direction and costumes and et cetera. So that's, I guess that's the no film school editor in me wanting to make it about uh, education and diving into what's great about all of them and not just like, hey, this one won. But my my only other thought is I've always felt like the list of nominees is is always more interesting than the list of winners. It's larger, but so many great movies don't win those awards but are in the running for them. And I wish there was a way to put them all at the fore of everyone's mind and say like, hey, do you know, you know, here's, here's 50 movies that were nominated for best screenplay that didn't win anything but are just phenomenal movies. Um, that's Those are my thoughts. Jason and Michelle, do you guys want to quickly share your versions? I have some dream categories that I feel like should make it into this list now that we have some room for them if we're changing things up. Yeah. Yeah, bring it. A lot of folks have said this and I'm so I'm, I feel like I'm echoing things for that I've that I've heard and I'm going to add some of my own, but a lot of folks have talked about stunt performer Oscars and particularly now because there's been some great quarantine videos from stunt performers that then just those alone should be eligible. And may, might be under the new rules, depending on whether or not they can get on the platform. So stunt performers, I'd love to see one maybe for not just score and sound, uh, not just score, but soundtrack. So music supervision and choices. Oh, that would be great. That's a great idea. Voiceover performance. 
would be a good one to add. We've never had that before. Yeah, now that we have all this animation coming, we assume. We still don't have colorist. Colorist is still not an Academy Award category, which is insane. How would you how would you do it? Would you have to show a before and after? No, of- I'm adamantly I actually got I ended up quitting the awards committee at the CSI over the before and after because I hate the idea of a before okay. and after. I mean, okay. I think it's the same. I mean, we have separate categories for sound edit and sound mix, right? And the same argument can be made there. don't anymore as of an hour ago. <laughs> they, there's no more sound edit and sound mix categories? Nope. They are no. best sound. <laughs> I didn't what? know whether or not to interrupt you, but I don't know if this will go live with that, like, knowing. I had to interrupt you because it won't be true by the time this goes live. No, it's great. Um, this is such a uh, this is such a living podcast. It's like happening. <laughs> it's it's amazing. But... but but that, those are two different things that do two different things radically different. Well, now you'll, now you'll take them both into account when you're voting. <laughs> We've captured Charles' shock and awe yeah. live. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's like The awards are going to start changing in, in different ways. The problem with having them on TV is that they have to get ratings and they need it to be, they need it to be quicker, short, you know, it needs to be faster, smaller, and they need to kind of play the hits for ratings. And that doesn't yes. always equate to what we all care about. We really need an Academy Awards Oscars that is a show about the movies for people who don't care a whole lot about how the movies are made. We also really need some other way. I want to call it maybe the No Film School Awards. We'll see. Yes. To honor all the things that are done that make a movie or any piece of content work that happens in the craft. Like we need, we need more attention and it's not going to happen in the mainstream the way the Oscars do. But you, but we already have craft awards for all of those other things. Like this, the sound editors give out a sound editor award, but the Academy awards are the ones with the prestige. So we still need the Academy awards to recognize, even if it's not in the same telecast, even if it's the day before or whatever, they still need to do. Man, best. That's a good point. I just think we need to we need a new prestige. We need to create prestige around something that isn't related to you know. Now I'm thinking in terms of like the utopia I want to create far off in the future. Well, this year it's going to be it'll be a weird year no matter what. You know, there's so many rules to finesse and what gets nominated and what can't. And now if you're a celebrity, you can campaign for other people's movies even though if you weren't in it. So if you just love, I don't know. Ryan Reynolds and want to see him get it for free guy. You can campaign for him. Um, but, you know, in light of recent events and the way things have happened, I would love this year's Academy Awards just to be a history. Now, I, I think that George is on to something when we just say, like, why don't we just celebrate things? And, and I do think, look, if you want to keep it like a contest, what if we said this year we're going to pick the greatest, best screenplay of all time? We're going to pick what we think is the best, best picture. If they could narrow it down to a top 10 or top five, uh, you have people vote. I think you could have people vote. But I mean, who's going to go up and give a speech? Holograms. Yeah, I was going to say, can we have someone create (laughs) like a CG Kurosawa go up if he wins? First off, I I think that a lot of people are still alive, right? And like, you don't have to do sound editing. You could just play the hits, you know, like picture, actress, actor, screenplay, you know, cinematography, whatever, you know, like we pick the top 15 categories. You don't have to do probably shorts or whatever. And, and I do think that would be a really fun show. Look, AFI does the top 100 shows. Those are always entertaining and interesting. And I think doing something similar would be a really fun celebration. People could record that at home. You could really just talk about your reaction to that movie or that script or that 
cinematography, that actor's performance, really celebrate each other. My favorite part of the award shows are when we do the Lifetime Achievement Awards, you know, whether it's Tom Hanks or Jodie Foster or Denzel Washington, the, the people getting these things, like I always think it's emotional and interesting. So really a celebration of the creators to me would be like the best version of what they could do this year, especially if we don't get the theatrical cinema. Two 8K cameras came out of China, although one of them only does 4K, not in time-lapse, but I wanted to relate them. So 8K cameras from China. The first one, there's a company called Kinefinity. Many people know Kinefinity. They make Mavo cameras. And I'm not going to say they're like red knockoffs because I don't think they are, but they look a little tiny bit like a red camera. And um, they're sort of the affordable high resolution camera. So, you know, they had a 4K that was like $7,000. They had a 6K that it was like $7,000. And they just came out with their full frame, which means the larger sensor size, the sort of, you know, Arial F or Red Monstro size sensor um, that shoots 8K. uh, And it shoots ProRes RAW, uh, which is an open RAW format, which is really exciting because it's not proprietary. And uh, it's $12,000, which seems like a lot of money for a camera. But, you know, if you're comparing this to like the Airy Mini LF, which would, you know, it's a smaller body than the Mini LF. The Mini LF is in, I think, $45,000, something like that. The Red Monstro 8K is thirty-five dollars or $40,000. So it's an incredibly good price point for an 8K camera capable of shooting raw. And what's really interesting is, you know, a lot of these companies sort of famously make their money off media, right? Like you buy the camera and the camera might not cost that much, but then you have to buy all those SD cards to shoot to or SSDs or like, you know, Red has those special mini mags you have to buy that are $1,500 for $300 worth. And don't you also uh, need just tons of accoutrement to, (laughs) to like complete, these are just bodies that are that for these Costs. But a lot of accessories run from camera to camera, right? Like at this point, if you bought, you know, the the Cine 7 monitor from Small HD, if you bought that five years ago for another camera, you're still using it with this camera. If you own a tripod, if you own lenses, you're moving it over. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you're probably looking at $20,000 for a full package, but that's still way less than the $70,000 you're looking at for an equivalent competitor. We've actually, we have a writer at No Film School who owns uh, an earlier Kinefinity. I can't remember if it's a 4K or 6K and has written a lot of reviews of them. And like the footage is really impressive. They do some really fascinating stuff. And one thing I especially liked about this one is you can also buy empty cases for their magazines. They're like the little camera magazine and put your own memory in it. And that's like one of the places where people make all of their markup. Like Red, famously, they take their $300 worth of memory and they sell it to you in a $1,500 case. You can just buy the empty case and buy your own memory and put it in it, which is like kind of amazing. And they support NVMe memory, which is even faster than SSDs and very affordable because it's related to the memory chips in your computer. So it's increasingly showing up on set. So that's super cool uh, for $12,000. And then for around $1,000, uh, DJI has come out with a new drone, uh, the Mavic Air 2. And what's interesting to me about this, so it only does 8K in like a time lapse of still photos. In When shooting in video mode, it only does 4K. So it's not really an 8K camera the way um, the Mavo is. And it certainly doesn't have all of the bells and whistles and interchangeable lenses and stuff like that. But what's fascinating to me about this camera is that, um, you know, all cameras, all sort of systems usually have like lines, like there's the, the mini and then the air and then the pro or whatever. And this is a weird case where usually the Pro has the top of the line specs. Right now, the Mavic 2 Pro does 4K 30 frames per second. 
and the Mavic 2 Air, the little brother or little sister, little sibling, little <laughs> sib, um, does 4K 60 frames per second. So like an arguably better spec from a new half inch sensor, all of the initial reviews are really beautiful imagery that hints that there's probably a Mavic 3 Pro coming because, you know, it's a real weird lineup when you're driving because at this point it's like, oh, well, then I should just like there's not a lot of argument to go for the Mavic 2 Pro, which costs more when you could just go for the Mavic 2 Air. It's cannibalizing its own market, which is like a bold move that they're willing to do. Uh, the other big headline with the Mavic 2 Pro is longer battery life. And that's actually something that like doesn't seem like a big deal. And then it's actually a huge deal with oh, drones huge, because yeah. <laughs> you always, I mean, it just doesn't seem like a big deal. Usually when we're like longer battery life in a press release, it's not a headline. With drones, it's always the headline. Because once it's up in the air, you have to have enough battery to get it back to you. If you're like flying over a river, you don't like, you know, when your camera dies and it's just on your shoulder, you're like, I'll swap the battery. When the battery dies and you're over a river, you've lost your drone. So battery life is a big deal and they have much, much longer, but a significant improvement in battery life. So they're really, DJI is really willing to cannibalize their Mavic 2 Pro business with the Mavic 2 Air, which is impressive. But it, I, it probably means we're looking at a Mavic 3 Pro sometime soon. So one of the things I love about the Mavic Air 2 is probably an indication of how my skills are as a pilot, which is the obstacle avoidance feature <laughs> built into the drone, which Amazing. is pretty great. <laughs> I'm really excited about the price point because if you are considering getting um, a Mavic Air at all, the Mavic Air 2 is such a great price point that you may as well jump in right at that at that model, right? So unlike, let's say, I don't know, a new Canon or new Nikon, like the new one comes out and it's the price point is so high that you're like, okay, I'll just wait, right? I'm not going to upgrade right now or I'll wait till it drops. But if the price point like this is so close to what you'd buy if it was an earlier model, like you may as well jump right in, in my opinion. If you were going to go for it, like go for it, <laughs> get, the, get the one that just came out. I think the price point was really strong. If it had come up higher than that, um, I would have felt a little differently, but I have some friends who were thinking about drones or waiting, saw this price point and said, oh, that's great. Like now I'm going to jump right in as opposed to waiting for the earlier model to drop, right? They're going to go right into this model. You know what I think is funny is I think about with all these things, like the right now, like who has money for these things? And this is a strange time, like for the business and for people in our business and field. But then I think about the drones and I think, you know, if you're going to buy something, those could be really fun right now. That's how we're getting all of the great footage of all the empty cities. All right. So with that, we'll move to our last subject of the week, deep cuts. All right. My rapid fire deep cut this week, A League of Their Own, Penny uh. Marshall, 1992. Uh, and... The, the reason I picked this movie is – I don't know if anybody else is in this weird quarantine where you're not experiencing as much outside stimuli. A, having really long, weird, vivid dreams. Um, but B, also just randomly remembering things from your past life that you haven't thought about in 20 or 30 years. But like – all of this, you know, because like I'm seeing the same walls of the apartment and, you know, the smiling face of my wife and child all the time. So like my brain is pulling like, oh, remember that one time you got to go to this place? And I remembered that A League of Your Own shot in the town where I grew up. And it's the first thing I ever learned about movie making was like cool. there were ads for extras Amazing, and like there were yeah. – and it was like uh, – you know, I was like 10 
And this was my introduction to movie making. And so I just wanted to, you know, also I like, it was really funny because when it came out, we ended up watching it in my class and it was the first time there's like screenwriting moments. The teacher, obviously I think was one of those aspiring screenwriters to circle it back to Jason Hellerman's earlier comments where it's like everywhere you go, people are like scripts. And he had all of these interesting observations about like the character development of the screenplay and the way it was visualized and the way in which you saw like, Oh, well, you know, he's always been unshaven and now there's the little Nick on his cheeks. So you can see the characters changing and growing. And, and it was, you know, this interesting sort of like screenplay reading of uh, like looking at the arc of characters in a movie um, and I ended up watching it again a couple of years ago and I was like, oh, you know, this movie holds up. So um, that's my deep cut. I want to throw it back farther. I was talking to people about older good movies. If you've never seen the original to be or not to be, it's not about Shakespeare. It's actually about World War II and Nazis, but it's a comedy. It's by Ernst Lubitsch, who if you know Billy Wilder, you should know Ernst Lubitsch. He's amazing. He was Billy Wilder's mentor. It's just really funny, really well-structured, really well-written, holds up. It's an older movie, but it's great. And Mel Brooks remade it much later. Don't bother with that. Just forget about it. Watch the original. My deep cut is the 2007 movie Disturbia. It just came to my mind. That is the Shia LaBeouf uh, rear window knockoff. But uh, it's good. So in, in the movie... Shia plays a teenager and he's on house arrest. He's got the little ankle monitor on and he thinks his neighbor is a serial killer. And look, we're all in this shit right now. And it's, this is what's happening to us. And if you're using binoculars to spy on your neighbors like I am, Disturbia <laughs> is the movie for you. Disturbia 2007, Shia LaBeouf. Get your drones, do the remake. So my deep cut is a look forward cut, which is that Disney finally embraced that May 4th is Star Wars Day so may the fourth be with you. Uh, that is a great deep cut, Michelle. You're on fire this episode. <laughs> I love Star Wars. So Rise of Skywalker uh, gets released on May 4th this year early. Thank you, Disney, uh, for that. So if you were looking to sit down and watch every single film, you can do it starting on May 4th. Hell yeah. Also, if you tweet using hashtag May the 4th, I think Disney just copyrighted it and they own your tweet. It's a oh, hot no. It's a hot thing on Twitter. They were discussing it yesterday. I don't have an actual answer to whether that's true, but but I think maybe you have to tag them in it. So you have to like tag Disney and say May the 4th and they own it. But I mean, Lucas was doing that before. He copywrote the word droid and every right. single Motorola droid phone had to pay a licensing yes. fee. Yeah, but that I'm down with that. It's like when Paris Hilton tried to copyright That's Hot, you know? It's just like, what are we supposed to say in restaurants, you know? <laughs> Uh, all right everybody that is you can't win better than that so this is i'm charles hayne you can check me out at charleshayne.com or all on all the instagrams and twitters at charles hayne my show saltypirate.tv is on all the platforms although i have to i have to give a little shade here it's supposed to be on all of the platforms but amazon prime has literally spent three weeks processing but right now i can only say ficto and vimeo vod have i ever ruined my chance of ever getting financed by you in the future bezos we'll see uh, download the How to Write a Script <laughs> during quarantine ebook on No Film School for free. I'm Jason Hellerman. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Hellerman. Tell me what you love about the book. Tell me what you hate about the book. I'm excited to hear both. One of them will be meaner, and I don't want to hear it, but you can if you want to. Congrats, Jason. I'm looking forward to reading that book. This is Michelle De La Tour. You can find me on the socials at at M Delator, M D E L A T E U R. May the fourth be with you. 
copyright is me. And I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. Thank you for listening. Make sure to like, rate, comment, subscribe, and all that fun stuff. Find us on Facebook, No Film School. Find us on Twitter at No Film School and go to nofilmschool.com. As Jason said, please do check out the ebook. It's on the site. How to write a screenplay during quarantine and subscribe to our newsletter to get all kinds of other great stuff. Much of it written by these three fine people. Thanks so much, guys. Happy writing. <laughs>